Welcome to the Real Estate Players Profile. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. If you're listening to this podcast, that means it must be a Friday. Every Friday, I have a conversation, a one-on-one, with someone who is influential and can provide some great insight into the uh, real estate world as well as uh, the local economy. This particular week, I think it's going to be very interesting because um, we're going to be talking directly to developers, lenders, as well as real estate professionals who are out there because we're going to be talking about marketing. We're going to ask an expert, does it make sense to send out those damn postcards and mail them to everybody, or does it make more sense to take that cash and spend it on digital marketing? And maybe what's coming down the pike? Uh, what are some things that uh, you as a professional should be focused on if you want to try to generate business and ultimately get that cash register to ring? Who do I have this week? I have Chris Overlay. He is the, he's got several titles. He's a partner, he's a chief operating officer, he's also the chief marketing officer with Genius Digital Marketing. It is a company based in the Dallas, Texas area. What's going on, Chris? Hey, Peter. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because you actually know what the hell's going on. Everybody, I think, out there gets a bunch of marketing, talking, telling them about what they need to do, what they shouldn't do, what they, what they should do, how much they should spend, how do they get the top uh, Google re- uh, search results, all that type of stuff. And I'm hoping you can help uh, the listeners, as well as myself, sort of cut through all the bullshit and understand really what we need to focus on and what we should just disregard. It's kind of a, a huge task, but uh, you think you're up to it? Yeah, I think so. You know, hopefully I, I can provide some, some insight on these things. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things to where if, if you're talking to somebody who says they have all the answers, you're probably talking to the wrong guy. So um, I'll give you as many answers as I can and at least shine a light on, on what I think is uh, the best practices and what I've seen work really in the, in this space and, and across other industries too. Perfect. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Now, now there'll be some people who haven't listened to this podcast before, so let me sort of lay, lay out the rules of engagement. Um, we look for straight talk and salty language, i.e. cursing. It is acceptable. It's a real estate podcast, so a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, chances are, uh, you know, they curse here and there. So hopefully that's not going to offend you, Chris. No, not at all. <laughs> okay. What I'd like to do is I want to I want to spend an hour with you, uh, break it up into tw- uh, three 20-minute segments. First 20 minutes, we're going to talk a little bit about you. Second 20 minutes, we'll talk about what the current state of the market is for all of this marketing, social media, as well as the old school type. And then in the last 20 minutes, I'm going to ask you to pull up that crystal ball, give us some insight as to sort of what's coming down the pike and where uh, people who are out there. Again, uh, our crowd is investors, it's developers, it's lenders, it's real estate professionals, realtors like that, people who basically eat what they kill. So, uh, you know, if they can effectively market the, their product and themselves, chances are they're going to make some money. So that'll kind of be the, uh, you know, the sense or the vibe of the overall conversation. Great. Cool. So let, let's start off first and foremost. Um, you are originally from Las Vegas. You live right now in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, the company's based in Keller, Texas. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you, uh, A, what was it like growing up in Vegas? B, uh, do you have any inside information about any of the sports books in terms of what we should be batting <laughs> on in the week, weeks and months ahead? And then uh, C, what's it like living in Texas? Yeah, so uh, really, really great kind of story behind that. Um, I grew up in Las Vegas, uh, went to elementary school there all the way through high school and went to the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV uh, for college there. And uh, really my, my whole entire collegiate career, I was, you know, gunning for business and marketing. And, um, you know, I kind of knew early on that I wanted to be in this marketing world. And, 
got my degree in that. And uh, while I was in college, I had started up a, a couple of businesses, you know, uh, the startup mentality, hashtag startup was very popular at that time. I think that uh, that movie uh, about Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, I think it's called The Social Network, came out while I was in college. And, you know, just me and my friends and, and my fraternity and, and my brothers there were, you know, all pumped up about starting businesses. And that's what we did in college. So I, I got the chance to do a couple of startups and one of which turned into a side hustle, eventually a full-time gig uh, later in life, um, you know, which is still a business today. I'm no longer a partner of that company, but uh, that started out of college. Uh, but um, living in Las Vegas was, was a really neat experience. I, I tell people that, uh, you know, you really learn how to hustle you know, when you're surrounded by the hustle and uh, everything sure. in Vegas, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, everything in Vegas is a sale. And, you know, you pick up on it, you're kind of desensitized to it um, being in, in Vegas, but I'll never forget, um, you know, the first time that I really traveled uh, outside of Vegas when I was of age to like go to nightclubs and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I walked up to the front of, of a line and just, you know, tried to buy my way past the line. I was like, oh yeah, can I just pay extra to, to get through the, get through the line? And uh, I got the worst looks ever. It was just like, what are you talking about? Like, that's just absurd. Why would you do this. But in Vegas, it's like, oh, as long as you have money, you can do whatever you want. So, uh, you know, it's like uh, I learned that early on that cash does does buy relationships and it does, does buy access. And uh, I wouldn't have had that, you know, uh, growing, up in, growing up in Vegas. Also, there's lots of strip clubs. So if you can imagine an 18-year-old, you know, college, you know, guy in a fraternity from 18 yeah. to 24, strip clubs and clubbing was, was a fun experience, too. So that was the thing. Interesting, interesting. I, I, I did some business out in Vegas out there for a while. It's um, it's an interesting dichotomy. It's a real interesting reflection of sort of what the United States uh, society is like in terms of, uh, you know, people's lifestyles and what they like to try to do, the risk takers as well as those who are more conservative, you know, the slot machines versus the, um, uh, you know, roulette table, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, any, anything you can take maybe from uh, the Vegas uh, uh, childhood you had, and sort of apply to uh, social media or marketing. Um, did, did you learn any maybe rules of thumbs uh, when you're growing up in Vegas that maybe you, you kind of see play out in the uh, in the marketing world, whether it be a traditional or, or 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 more modern type of marketing? Oh sure, yeah. Um, you know, Vegas uh, is is one of the most competitive markets for legal advertising, and you have like it's not that big of a city you know, population wise, when I was growing up, it was like, you know, it was just getting to the point where it was about a million people. Now it's like 1.2, 1.5, I think they're counting towards, if you really count all of Clark County, you're getting up closer uh, to 2 million. And, you know, when you have that small of a population um, and a lot of lawyers, like you're talking about an extremely hostile environment and growing up watching, you know, the lawyer ads and, uh, you know, seeing them, you, you experience it as a child and you're just kind of like, whatever, it's just, you know, hum, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, what do they call it? A jingle, you know, you listen to and yeah. as yeah. I got older and started doing more marketing stuff, like, like, I don't know if your listeners have, have read a book called the blue ocean strategy, like blue oceans versus red oceans. I think back okay. to Vegas a lot, you know, uh, because there's so many red oceans in that little microcosm uh, of a city. And it's inter interesting to see how 
each business differentiates itself. You know, like you'll do little gimmicks. Maybe there's a slightly different value proposition that somebody's trying to do. Maybe somebody buys all the billboards on one stretch of highway. Maybe they're branding themselves as the cheap option versus the high end option. It's like they're all selling the same stuff, you know, but it's like the difference is when you have that much that competitive of a market is really interesting um, to take a look at. And also you have like the travel and entertainment industry, which is, uh, you know, very prevalent in Las Vegas. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're running TV ads for that stuff across the nation, really. And it's always interesting to me to see a, an ad for Vegas in another spot. But um, I think digital is a great place for that as well. And, you know, if you're, you know, searching for Las Vegas vacations and, and that type of stuff, uh, it's just a dead giveaway that you want to come to Vegas. So, you know, you'll see that kind of stuff across the internet as well, social media ads and, and that type of stuff. Now, what's interesting about old school versus new school is that, uh, you know, online now with, with digital ads, like the algorithms and the AIs are pretty good about picking out like uh, kind of racy stuff. So like if you have like a half dressed woman or a half dressed man or, or whatever in your ad on like Facebook, for example, you're going to get that flagged really quickly. Um, however, like on a billboard or, you know, inside of a commercial during a certain time, even like on the radio, you can have, you know, some of the stuff slip where an AI picks it up and is going to block it and, and that type of stuff. So it's like, it's kind of strange, like how it's seeing this like evolution of ad regulation and what works and what doesn't work. But um, it, it's, Again, it's all related to Vegas because it's just such an interesting place um, to to see different types of advertising and different types of businesses. Interesting. Now, now you mentioned, and I'm a neophyte, um, you mentioned Blue Ocean versus Red Ocean. Um, not to get too much into it, and if it requires it, we can do it in the next segment. But could, can you give it in layman's terms an explanation of what is a Blue Ocean versus a, a, um, a Red Ocean, given the fact you don't have any oceans in uh, <laughs> Nevada? Yeah, except you maybe yeah. have some salt lake. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, um, there's one huge man-made lake, and it's disgusting. Don't go there. Uh, it's, it's nasty. It's it's Lake Mead, and it's it's the largest lake. I think it's the largest man-made lake in the country. One of the largest. Anyways, uh, it's not about water in the book. I always know it's called a, uh, an ocean strategy. But essentially, the premise, in summary, is that in business, you have you know two different types of markets. You have a red ocean and you have a blue ocean. And if you're starting up a company, or even if you have an established company like a like an IBM of the world or something like that, if you're trying to earn market share or launch a new product or something like that, you really want to try to find a blue ocean and uh, and stay away from red oceans. And, and what a red ocean is is a highly competitive uh, market where you have a lot of uh, service providers are, are products that are very similar, and it's hard to tell the difference between the two. It gets to the point where there's like price wars going on, you know. And you can probably think of products that are like this. Like, for example, toothpaste is in a red ocean. You know, there's only so many toothpaste, and there's only so many ways you can do toothpaste. So, yep. if you're going to enter that market, very, very difficult. A blue ocean is one where there's a lot of room for things, where there's not a lot of competition, and uh, you can really, like, there's plenty of of buyers, so it's a combination of low competition and uh, high demand, so there's, and low supply, so, like, you want to try to solve a problem that, uh, you know, there's not much competition going on, and a good example of a a company that did something like this, and it's one that's in the book, is uh, Cirque du Soleil. So Cirque du Soleil is, and we're back to Vegas again, by the way, uh, Cirque du Soleil is like this combination of circus 
and like performance art. And before Cirque du Soleil, there was, this didn't exist. You, you could go to the circus or you could go to performance art. And the two are very different in terms of like the ticket price. Circus is pretty cheap. It's kind of family friendly. Uh, performance art is high end. You're talking about the ritzy dudes and, and gals are in there, you know, looking at, you know, uh, you know, high end performance art like ballet and, and acrobatics and that kind of stuff. But what Cirque du Soleil did is they combined these two things. They put it literally under a tent, themed it kind of like a circus, kept the price point not super low, but mid range and brought in the high end elements of, of like high end performance art and uh, formed a whole new kind of uh, product category, which that product category exists in a blue ocean. And because there was no other competition, they were massively successful. So that's kind of what the idea of the book is. And if you're in marketing and business, it's one of my top, if not the top business book I've ever read. It's, it's a great piece. And, and, and the title is, it's, it's called Blue Ocean Strategy or it's called Blue Ocean versus Blue Blue Ocean Strategy. Blue Ocean Strategy. Strategy. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds interesting. You know, it, um, you were talking about Vegas and you're talking about how competitive it is. Well, Vegas isn't that competitive in terms of population size. It does tap into all of the states around there, especially California with a real prevalence towards Los Angeles. It sort of compares me, uh, reminds me of South Florida where we have all these New Yorkers and those from the Northeast who are coming down here and they make it ultra competitive. Um, do you see some similarities uh, maybe in terms of being, um, you know, with all due respect, uh, secondary market Vegas as well as Miami being secondary markets and really having these feeder markets like California and New York sort of driving the competition in there. Do you, do you see any similarities or am I just, uh, you know, am I way out there on the, wrong, on the, you know, on the crazy side? No, I think you're, I think you're onto something there. You know, uh, it, you know, Nevada is heavily influenced by California politics and West Coast politics and West Coast economy. And, and because California is so huge and such a powerhouse and because so many people move back and forth between the two states that yep. Nevada and really Las Vegas is, is a very prominent city for Nevada. Um, I think maybe you count Reno and there's the other one, but there's not that much yep. going on in terms of, of population city or population density. It's just heavily influenced by uh by california and, and and the life there so absolutely you know those two are, are are interlinked and even during this this COVID pandemic i i lived in las vegas up until october of uh last year and it was like every decision that was made you know in a lock and step not every decision but like very close to what was going on in california you know mm -hmm. uh, nevada echoed in a lot of ways and um it's, it, you're totally right. And, and I haven't personally lived on the East Coast, but I can see that happening. So there's there's major cities that kind of like drive the ship, you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, there's echoes that reverberate, reverberate out into uh, other zones. So it makes sense. Interesting. Interesting. Now, Texas, um, you're, you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Why, why are you in Texas? Did you go for personal reasons or is it something related to the business that has to do with taxes? Uh, you know, we've heard a lot here about how Californians supposedly are going to be coming to Florida because of no Texas because they want to move. I, I, I did a podcast with an investor out of California. He said it's all bullshit because basically it's too far. He's got to change planes, so he'd rather go to Texas uh, if he is leaving California because of the tax issue and he's looking for opportunities, especially in real estate. Um, what, what, how, how did you end up in Texas and why? Yeah, good question. Um, Texas was never really on my radar as a place that, you know, I, I thought I would want to move. Um, but 
uh, really it's for the business. Genius Digital Marketing is, is growing, you know, really well. And uh, I met my business partner, Remote. We started working together because we were freelance dudes and um, continued to work together for a few years. And uh, eventually it was like, hey, you know, there's there's a good opportunity for a couple of stars to align. One is that we wanted to buy a, a building in this area because it was a good price and we only see property values going up. And yep. two, the business is growing really well. So, you know, him and I being in the same building, operating together, you know, working, you, know, you kind of like the remote work thing is very great for a lot of reasons, but there's, there's a missing component of it, of like that, like interpersonal space that you inhabit with your team members and like all of the little things that happen in that zone, you you miss that by not being in the same spot with, with each other. So things like the conference room, like staff meetings, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, we just didn't have so it was like all right like that's happening also like i was in a position to move i didn't have any roots in vegas you know like my family and stuff's there but i could move around i traveled i owned a travel company before that so it was like i did a lot of traveling i was like hey you know what let's do it let's move to texas and uh see what's up down there so we moved down here in october uh, my girlfriend and i and we've been here ever since and uh it's it's going well for us. Besides the weather, we you know <laughs> we've been killed uh, with some crazy weather this year. We got frozen, and now I, I experienced my first tornado warning, which was just like the most insane thing ever. <laughs> my phone is like yeah. shelter immediately, and I, I didn't think it was serious. <laughs> I'm like this is a joke, right? Because no tornadoes, and uh, no, it's a real thing, man. It, it really happens, but uh, you don't get that in, in Las Vegas. It's just hot and dry, and uh, occasionally windy, but that's about it. Wow. Okay. Um, probably one of the most important questions to ask is um, California and Vegas have In-N-Out Burger. Texas has, uh, I think it's called what, what, what a Burger. Have you had a chance to sample both of them or which one's better? <laughs> oh, In-N-Out. In-N-Out, absolutely. Um, they won't tell you that around here. What a Burger is, is, the, uh, is the champion of the champions, but I'm a West Coast guy at heart and uh, I, uh, I love In-N-Out, man. Nice, nice. Now, now you, you have some relatives that live in Florida, but they're over on the west coast of Florida, up in the Tampa-St. Petersburg uh, uh, area. Um, Do you ever taste a good burger when you were out this way? Um, you know, I didn't, but I did go to this place. It was fantastic barbecue, and I don't know if it's still there, but we visited, uh, gosh, years ago, and we saw these signs for this place. It was like, it, signs were like, literally, they said, the worst place on the beach. Don't come here. It sucks. So we went there, obviously. <laughs> I just scoped it out. And uh, um, it was fantastic, man. I mean, like, real good, like, you know, uh, kind of east, southeast style, uh, South Carolina style mustard barbecue. Uh, literally just, you know, meat served with a couple slices of white bread. And, and it was just great, dude. Fantastic hole in the wall spot. And I really, really enjoyed it. In times I've gone to Miami, I, I really enjoyed the Cuban food, too. I'm a fan of, of plantains and, uh, you know, the, the Cuban style pork and of course rum is always nice to partake in when you're, when you're around that kind of thing. And I'm a foodie too. I, I grew up around a kitchen and, um, my dad's, uh, my dad owns a restaurant too. So anytime I get a chance to try some food and, and experience something new, uh, culinary wise, I, I try to do it. Nice. Nice. And w one quick, uh, uh, note, do, do you guys have Shake Shack? Um, have they expanded out that way? It's a New York operation. They got a pretty big presence oh, yeah. in Florida for obvious reasons, and and they're nationwide. So you've had Shake Shack. Yeah, I had Shake Shack. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, and how does in and out? So if in and out is the champion of the West, how does uh, how does the New York Shake Shack go up against the California in and out burger? You know, if I were going to rank them, you know, like I love in and out, right? It's got a special place in my heart and in, in my gut and the fat around my heart and the fat around my liver. And it's like, you know, these are special places that in and out inhabits. But uh, I put Shake Shack above Whataburger, honestly. And maybe that's controversial that I'm ranking these things in this order, but I think Shake Shack is a little bit more of an upscale experience. You know, you go, you sit down, it's like a little bit higher end, at least the ones I've been to. Maybe that's yep. the nice ones they put out on the West Coast and in Texas, but uh, they're good, man. I'm, I'm down with a burger and fries almost any day of the week. Nice. And with that, why don't we go ahead and we'll take our first commercial break. The other side of the break, I'm going to um, ask Chris about what's going on right now in the marketing world. We're going to talk a little bit about old school. We're going to talk about what's going on currently. And then, as mentioned, when we do our third segment, we're going to get into what the future holds uh, for marketing. So stay tuned. We'll catch up with you on the other side of the break. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures Podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as the Miami Real Deal, but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building, or what happened previously for whatever your situation is, whether you are a, an attorney, whether you are an institutional fund looking to invest, or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of a strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you. To get a hold of me, please uh, reach out to Peter at condovultures.com. That's Peter at condovultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the software distressed market intelligence report? To do so, Go to condovulturesrealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign-up box. It's called the South Florida Distrust Market Intelligence Report. Sign up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distrust market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Real Estate Players Profile. I'm Peter Zalewski. Having a conversation with Chris Overlay. Chris is the Chief Operating Officer, Chief Marketing Officer, and he's a partner in a company called Genius Direct Marketing. They're based out of the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area. And basically what they do is they help individuals as well as companies to better market their product, whether they are marketing themselves or they're marketing condos or houses or you kind of name it. Um, these are some guys you uh, you might want to reach out to and see if they can maybe help you with your business. Um, Chris, uh, Genius Digital Marketing, um, you guys putting your chest out saying we're the best or what's sort of the meaning behind Genius? Yeah, so good question. Um, you know, we, we discovered Genius kind of randomly. It was, it was funny that nobody else had taken that name. Um, we were right. probably like, 10 or 15 different ideas and discovered that there was already a marketing company or something like that that had the name. And, uh, you know, randomly we just typed in genius and uh, it came up and it was like, I can't believe nobody's taken this. <laughs> so, um, you know, they, but really like our, our brand is very like a little bit retro, you know, we're more of like a, you know, uh, I don't want to call us like, you know, lax, but we're like, you know, millennial kind of forward thinking, like we, we don't take ourselves too seriously. 
Um, and it's kind of like, if you could imagine like a retro superhero, like, wow, bam, you know, or retro Coca-Cola ads and this kind of stuff, it's just like, kind of like this, like a uh, retro modern vibe and, and genius just fit into that. And, and really our philosophy behind that is that, you know, when it comes to digital marketing and, and really marketing in general, like it, it, it takes effort to be good. And by good, I mean, like you have to get your clients results and you also have to be honest about what you're doing. And, you know, when you really look at it, it takes effort, but it doesn't take that much to just be good. And we tell ourselves, we we help grow good companies. We do good work for good people. We are good people. We use the word good a lot. And when you build all these, you know, things around just doing a good job, like a good old fashioned, like good job. Just say, you know, you put forth effort, you did what, you know, you said you were going to do and it worked out. That is kind of genius in today's world of sensationalism and hyperbolic, you know, we're the best X, Y, Z marketer. Nobody can be, that's we're the cheapest, we're the greatest, yada, yada, yada. It's all kind of bullshit out there. And that's another thing with this, with this whole, like, you know, I'll go on a tangent here in the marketing world is, if you have hired a marketing agency or a marketing person at some point, you've probably been burned. Somebody probably did something bad and um, didn't get your results and they kind of, you feel like you got your money stolen. And that yep. that kind of connotation really exists out in the industry. And we're trying to change that. Like we're trying to do a good job. We're trying to give you results and, um, you know, be honest about the way we're getting our data and, and what we're really driving for you. And lo and behold, you know, we're just trying to be honest, guys, and it's it's working, and we get better results than a lot of uh, companies. I don't want to say that we're, we're the best in the business because there's probably somebody that does something we do better, and, and that's great and good for you, but, you know, we do a really great job, and, and we do it better than, you know, 95% of everybody else out there. And, uh, you know, people seem to be receptive to that message, and, it's working out for us. Nice, nice, nice. Now, I, I just finished um, a book. I'm actually going through it a second time. Um, for disclosure, I'm listening to it on Audible because uh, I don't, uh, I, I can't, I can't sit my ass down and just read. I'd rather be, you know, <laughs> listening to it while I'm doing some housework or gardening or cooking or whatever. So I'm going through a book. It's called Bubble in the Sun. It came out in 2020. It's about the Florida uh, land boom that occurred in the 20s, and the author who's a former uh, financial journalist, makes the argument that the Great um, Depression, the 1929 stock market crash, was actually triggered by land speculation in Florida going sideways. Everybody piled into the stock market, and ultimately the stock market went sideways. So um, the reason I bring this up is in going through the, the, um, uh, the book, um, some of the techniques that were used 100 years ago, I recognize – uh, to be the same techniques being used today in Miami, in South Florida, in order to market product. And let me just give you one example because I want to I lay out the topography of sure. marketing uh, products or individuals. So, so there, there's a city in Miami, in the Miami area called Coral Gables. There's a gentleman who launched it. His name was um, uh, uh, Merrick, George Merrick. His family was actually, they, they owned a pineapple grove. And uh, he, he took over. He was a little bit of a writer, a poet, that type of thing. So what he did is when he was actually selling lots, he was trying to sell dirt to people. Um, basically, there was nothing standing there. He had a plan, a vision. He was selling lots. What he did is he was burning, believe this or not, he was burning about $2 million a year on hiring writers to go ahead and spin um, hyperbole put it out there, get it placed in newspapers around the country, and ultimately led to this uh, fantastic business 
at least before the market crashed. And I look at what's going on today, and I look at the traditional way of sort of marketing yourself, which is hire a public relations firm, give them a five grand retainer for the first month. Uh, they promise you they're going to do everything. They'll get you some media coverage, and lo and behold, you're going to be a success. Um, is that the old school way of doing it? And does, does that approach still fly? And I say that uh, knowing that I have a lot of public relations people who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, so um, I, I'll tell you what hasn't changed and what probably won't change for forever as long as humans exist, uh, at least in the way that they do. When the AI takes over, maybe then it will change. But but storytelling is, is not going to change. People are very responsive to stories, and we want to hear a story, and, and we're intrigued by you know that kind of thing. What has changed is the, the mediums and the mechanisms we use to tell those stories. So back, you know, rewind the clock to the time you're saying, you know, in the 1920s and around that time, the newspaper was a way, a vehicle to telling that story and placing, you know, uh, stories out across, uh, you know, the United States in these newspapers was the method. Nowadays, you know, you still want to have a great story. You have to decide what that story is and who you're really trying to tell a story to. But there are so many ways to distribute that information uh, and so many ways to distribute it to your different uh, target audiences, you know. So that's the difference with digital marketing is that there's just different mechanisms in place. And uh, you, you, as long as you're telling a good story, you can you can win, you know. But it starts with a story, and then you know, leveraging the mechanisms to to actually distribute it uh, is the game, right? Got it, got it, got it. Now, now, now what what about some of the old school ways? Um, you know, back when people used to go to their mailbox and actually check it, and I haven't checked mine in months. The only time I go out there is if I know I got a stimulus check coming from the federal government. Um, I don't even look at mail. I, I you know, I don't even I, I don't go out there. Um, oh, what, what's your take on mailings? A lot of people in the real estate world, what they do is, you know, title insurance or maybe, uh, you know, uh, lenders, they're going to go ahead and get a list of a building or a complex, and they're going to mail everybody some generic type of um, promotion about something they sold or some service they have. Is that a good use of cash um, in today's world, or are they just pissing it away in the wind? <laughs> Yeah, so he, I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on it a little bit. Um, okay. You know, I think at a superficial level, uh, people do this stuff because at some level it works. Uh, you know, you send something out, you got your phone number on it, and you get phone calls. You know, it, there's something to it. Now, the problem I have with it, the beef I have with it, and you know, I wouldn't advise it, at least for the most part, is that one is that it's very difficult to track that stuff, although there are tools that can help you track some of it um, nowadays. Two, I don't think your rate of return on that is near what you would get using a different platform. You know, it costs so much to send out these mailers and to get them produced and to hire a company to put them in the mail for you and to do it enough times to where you actually get results that if you took those, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars and put it into a different like marketing strategy or a different marketing channel, your rate of return would be exponentially higher. So I think the trap people fall into is they say, hey, I've done this for a long time. I've seen other people do it. It seems to work and it's working for me now. Why would I break it? And it's like, well, okay, so maybe do that, but start experimenting with another channel because you may be getting a, let's call it a 1% return on that flyer when you could be getting a 10 or a 15 or a 25% 
response rate in another vehicle. And uh, that's the difference there is it, it kind of works, but like there's better options for you to get you a better return. Interesting. And, and as a rule of thumb, yeah. do, you, do you have any kind, of rule, any kind of rule of thumb you put out there that maybe the listener can keep in mind um, in terms of what kind of uh, return or what kind of, you know, um, uh, recognition or tracking um, that they should expect? Um, you know, you said 10 to 15 percent versus 1 percent. Is, is there any kind of rule of thumb uh, that, that you and your industry sort of uh, abide by or, or strive for? Yeah, really great question. Um, and I think that there there really isn't a rule of thumb. And and maybe I'm I'm you know you know shooting myself in the foot by saying that. And it's not going to be you know everyone wants the, the oh I can get that much back if I put this much in. And there isn't a rule of thumb because if you do it right, you're going to see your own data and your own experience in your own market. And the real key here is to track this stuff. So I'll give you kind of a a real example, if, if you were running, let's say, Facebook ads to generate okay. leads for, you know, prospective tenants or, or um, you know, B2B leads or any of these things, um, you need to build those ads so that they are connected to where you are capturing that information. So if you're pushing ads to a website, for example, the opt-in form, the contact form on your website needs to be connected to your ad account so that you can see how many opt-ins you're getting from your ads. And if you do this properly, you can see at a granular, a granular level, which campaign, which, you know, targeting, which ad, which image, which bit of text, which video really drove that conversion. That's what we call it as a conversion. And what that does for you is if you're tracking this properly, you define your own rate. So like you'll see, oh, I'm getting a, a 10% conversion rate on this particular ad in this particular market in this particular geo that's my that's my rate you know uh, on that thing and you can't get that in in other areas you, know, you can't get it from tv you can't get it from radio you can't get it from print um, it's not nearly as as trackable as an effect and as effective so so that's what i'm talking about is that you can actually track it now the reason why there's no rule of thumb is because like you have to def you have to figure this stuff out for your business and your market and your individual situation. If, if you looked at data for a certain geo or across the United States and you said, all right, you know, the average conversion rate for a real estate business on Facebook ads is 3%. It's like, well, that's for the whole United States of what's, what businesses were you sampling? What does real estate even mean? Like, are you talking about multifamily? Are you talking about, you know, uh, individual uh, family homes? Are you talking about investing? Like it's so convoluted that that data doesn't mean anything. And because there's nobody following around and doing a research study on you and your four other competitors in, in your particular market, the rule of thumbs don't matter. So like, just throw that out of your mind. Like it, it doesn't matter at all. Don't look at them. Instead, track your data effectively. Look at it month over month, year over year, and, and make improvements and adjustments based off of your information and you'll be much better off in the long run. Okay, and what, what one other question, just kind of a follow-up, just to kind of lay it out for the listener. Um, some people say that uh, if you're a religious person, you should give 10% of your wages to whatever um, religion you believe in. Um, is there any kind of rule of thumb for marketing? Should I dedicate of my revenue um, X percent towards marketing? Uh, the, anything like that exists in the, um, in the marketing world? 
Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, where I would start usually if I get the questions, like I don't even know how much I'm supposed to spend. Um, generally, like, exactly. the, there's like some, some, there's some good like metrics or some good rules of thumb in this category. Not to overuse that that uh, saying, but you know, if you're a stabilized business and you're trying to maintain, usually about 10% of your rev should be going to marketing budgets. If you're trying to grow and be aggressive, then you should be looking more at like the 12 to 15% or more of your rev should be going to your marketing budget. And if you are like, you know, top dog, you know, best in the market, you have best brand recognition, you don't even need to advertise, you're looking at more of like the, the five to eight percent range. So most businesses that I deal with are in either that stabilized or, or most of them are being growth. So it's usually like a 10 to 15 percent budget. Now, that's to start. What you should yep. be doing, again, this, this kind of comes back to tracking, is that once you get your machine running and you're tracking where leads are coming from, how much it's costing you to get those leads, you should be building an ROI model that shows your value from that, from that lead and that sale and back attributing that to your ad cost so that you kind of build a formula that says, if I spend X, I, I can reasonably guess or, or assume that I'm going to get Y. And you have to ask yourself the question of like, is that scalable? And how much more business could I take on if all things remain the same and X continue to equal Y, um, you know, can I spend more? Can I spend 30% of my rev for a month or a quarter or, or half a year? You can make those kind of decisions as you move forward, but only if, if you're tracking effectively. So I think it's helpful to start somewhere with, with an idea in your mind of you know, 10 to 15% if you're trying to grow and then, you know, figure out what your ROI is over the next three to six months and then make a decision on how aggressive you can really afford to be uh, at that point. Interesting, interesting. Um, going back to the book, Bubble in the Sun, again, something I learned reading this book from the 1920s land boom in Florida and applying it to today. Um, the first billionaire in the United States, according to the book, was a gentleman out of Memphis, Tennessee. He was invested in billboards as well as newspapers around the country. And uh, basically, uh, you know, he had uh, he was able to market a variety of different things. Basically came down here, bought a bunch of dirt, uh, lobbied the Florida legislature, and they carved out a county. They named it after him, and that is Collier County in southwest Florida, according to the book. So what I'm wondering is, our billboards and our newspaper ads, um, whether it be the digital version of the newspaper rather than the hard copy that people pick up, um, is that still an effective means of trying to get your message across? Or again, are you just, you know, pissing in the wind? So uh, again, you know, really relevant and great question. Um, and I, again, I'm going to be controversial. Most digital marketers would say, don't waste your money on that. It's it's stupid. You know, it's old school. Nobody does it anymore. And that's just wrong because there are people that are doing a really good job with billboards and with out-of-home advertising, and they're very forward-thinking. So uh, we work with a company up in, up in New York that does out-of-home advertising, and they're very sophisticated with this stuff. They can put, you know, billboards uh, and, like, I would call them like street level or, or my wild posting is another name for it too, in very targeted geos where people live and walk to work and ride their bikes to work. And uh, you, you can be very relevant and targeted and you just get great reach and, and impressions in those zones. Now, what makes them very forward thinking and they do billboards too as well. What makes them forward thinking though, is they're, they're using like geopath 
data. You know, they're looking at geofences, they're looking at device traffic through where their ads are at. So imagine you walked by a barricade that had an ad on it. And because they have like a geo, uh, kind of like a bubble mapped out o over that space, your device now pings that geopath and you can serve someone an ad that has been in that geo uh, nice. and near that billboard on, on other platforms. So on the newspaper websites, on editorial sites, on social media and these type of things. So if you really think about billboards as not just a, a standalone thing, but as an integrated piece to your multi-channel marketing uh, uh, strategy, now we're talking about something sophisticated and cool. And, you know, I think that anybody who's telling you, like, just dump it out of your brain in that sense, like, they're a little sophomoric, like, all right, let's think bigger picture here. How can we connect the dots on this stuff and, and leverage uh, what we can do uh, with, with billboards, with digital, with data, with all of these things? Interesting, interesting. Okay, um, now let me give you one more old school one, and I'm going to put a little Miami slant to it. Um, what about the guy standing on the corner dressed in a chicken outfit, uh, flipping a sign, or maybe somebody standing outside of a building saying, move in today, three months free rent? Or what about if it's actually a strip joint that um, has a, a, a painted bus or a Hummer, extended Hummer, uh, with a bunch of strippers hanging out the back, uh, driving around, trying to promote the, uh, the message? Um, uh, does seeing something like a guy in a chicken outfit or a bunch of strippers in the back of an extended Hummer, does that actually drive business? Is that just more institutional marketing where you put the name out there and everybody's talking about it, but maybe people don't actually spend the cash? Do, do, do you have any uh, opinion on that one way or another? Yeah, totally. Um, the sign spinner <laughs> guy, yeah. I, I, I hate that. I hate that, man. And uh, again, growing up in Las Vegas, I would see the people doing the sign spinners in the summer, and I'm like, man, that guy, like, I feel so bad. <laughs> right? It's, right? It's hot. You know, it doesn't look fun. And, uh, you know, my, my take on it is that for the $400, $500 that you're spending for that person to be out there for a day or, you know, the $1,500 you are spending for a couple of weeks or whatever it is you're running for, like, you could get way more reach and impressions on, on Facebook. Just take that money, put it right into Facebook ads, and you will be way better off than having some guy sweat to death out on the corner. And, and it's just, you can, you control, it's, it's much better use of your money. Now, if you've got all the money in the world and you can do all of it, okay, maybe you do the sign spinner guy too. But like at that point, it's like, it's, it's not even worth it to me. Now, the other thing you're talking about with, you know, doing kind of a stunt where you've got something where, you know, like you said, a bunch of, you know, strippers hanging out of the back of the truck, throwing stuff out or throwing it, having signs up and things. That's a little bit different because in the age of, of social media today, you know, if you do a stunt and do more of a guerrilla marketing type of approach, that has the chance to get a little bit of viral push with it. You know, you're going to get that shared and spread and, and that type of thing. And, and it has a lasting impression. Um, so you can do some stuff with kind of stunt based uh, marketing and, and people have great success stories with it, you know, um, but you've got to do it right. You have to really think about it. It has to be on point. It has to be timed properly. And you almost need to coordinate with social media influencers to help get that message buzzing out there initially. Uh, otherwise, you'll, you'll miss the mark because it tends to be a little bit pricier to do that stuff. Um, and there's companies out there that do guerrilla marketing, and they're, they're very good at it and have experience with it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think that it's an important line to draw that you know, the two are, are two different stories, I think. 
Got it, got it, got it. And again, um, you know, th- those stunts, that ties again back to the book in the 1920s. Uh, the developer of Miami Beach, Carl Fisher, he was known for having stunts, including elephants. He would have elephants uh, basically carry the golf bags of golfers as they were wandering around <laughs> um, uh, the golf course in Miami Beach. And he also introduced um, uh, uh, effectively uh, the bathing suit at some of the beaches in Miami Beach so uh, the women could be photographed and um, and run up in the you know the press in New York. So so again, a lot of things that we're doing today, at least old school type of stuff, it's been around for at least a hundred years here in Florida. So um, with that, Chris, let's let's go ahead and we'll take our, our second commercial break, and then after that, I want to sort of talk about uh, we're, you know we're, what do you see for the future? What's coming down the pike? And uh, we'll, we'll get into some of the details too, more about uh, Genius uh, Digital Marketing and, and what you guys offer. So um, sure. stay tuned. We'll catch up with Chris on the other side of the break. After a one-year hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're bringing back the condo correction tours. I'm Peter Zalewski, the host of this podcast. I'm also the one who will be leading these tours. These are three-hour tours where we go to a particular neighborhood. We walk the neighborhood. We talk about market conditions. We look and talk about buildings. We also talk about what's going on in those particular buildings. Everyone who attends the tour, uh, they're given a handout, talking about that what's the current state of that particular market from a buyer as well as a seller perspective. It's real heavy on the information in terms of the handout, but it's also really uh, interesting and insightful based on the stories behind the buildings and how they are performing. So I encourage you. If you're in the market for a condominium, if you're trying to work to get listings of a condominium, this is probably a tour that you want to uh, take. It's straight talk, much like our podcast, and chances are you're going to enjoy it. You're probably going to want to attend all of the tours going forward. To get a schedule of our upcoming tours, please go to condovultures.eventbrite.com. Again, condovultures.eventbrite.com. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures Podcast. Back in 1995, I got my real estate license, but I didn't practice for a number of years simply because I was writing about real estate as a journalist. 2006, I broke out and I launched a company called Condo Vultures. The idea was to try to use information, uh, data, and know-how to try to get the best deals on behalf of buyers. So if you are a buyer and you're looking for a deal, you're looking to try to understand the condo market in the Tri-County, South Florida area, myself or my team are here to help you to get a hold of us. Please call us at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Real Estate Players Profile. I'm Peter Zalewski, having a conversation with Chris Overlay. Chris is the Chief Operating Officer, Chief Marketing Officer, and a partner in Genius Digital Marketing. They're based out in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but they do business all around the country. If you are somebody who's trying to market your product, you're trying to figure out how much should I be spending, how can I generate more revenue, how can I get more conversions of the marketing dollars I am spending, Maybe reach out to Chris. Uh, Chris, if somebody um, is interested, uh, give them an idea. Who, what, what's your niche market? You take anybody, what the budget need to be, just sort of, uh, you know, help them to save their time and save your time uh, in terms of, you know, the type of clientele you typically work with. Yeah, um, good call on that. Uh, so we are a, a full-scale digital marketing company. So that means we, we can really do anything related to digital marketing. However, our, our real bread and butter is, is uh, like digital advertising. We do a ton of work with Google paid search. Um, we do a ton of work with social ads, uh, predominantly Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, so if you're advertising on those platforms, you know, we, I think we managed like 14 or $15 million last year in ad spend across those platforms. Um, so you know, we're, we're very schooled in that way. We're also doing great work with SEO, so search engine optimization. Uh, we have a ton of experience doing that stuff. 
Um, we dabble a little bit in, in website things, but really on the marketing side. So if you want to kind of spin up a brand, get like a logo on a website and, and get your messaging right on your website, that's that's what we do as well. Um, what else do we do? Uh, um, I can't think of other things um, right off the top of my head, but that's kind of it. It's advertising, website, SEO. Uh, that's kind of our bread and butter right now. We, we technically can work with businesses, and we do work with businesses in, in uh, many different industries, from e-commerce to uh, uh, multifamily to, uh, you know, residential real estate to, uh, you name it, restaurants and the like. However, you know, most of our clientele is uh, multifamily buildings. We work with uh, leasing teams and, and properties that are trying to lease up their buildings or sustain their buildings. We, we have a lot of clients in that space. We also do a lot of work with like B2B uh, uh, businesses. So if you're selling a service to another business, so think like a marketing agency, for example, or a property tech, you know, company, or, um, you know, your, uh, that type of B2B thing, we, we do good work with, with that as well. So um, that's kind of our, our two big verticals, although we, we technically can do anything. And in terms of like our, our size of, of, of clientele. We're, we're not the cheapest out there. You know, if, if you're looking for, uh, you know, an inexperienced kind of way person to, you know, save some dollars and get some stuff done, probably not, you know, us. I think you should go to like Upwork or find a freelancer for, for that. Right? You'll get great service from there. We're more like middle tier zone. You know, typically our retainers are in the, the two to $5,000 a month range and higher. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And we, we found good success there and provided a ton of value in, in that space. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, that's kind of the rundown on that. Did I cover all the things there, Peter? Did I get yeah. it? Yeah. Um, two, two quick questions. Um, on the retainer, what, did you guys have a minimum term, six months, a year, or something like that? Um, anything you can sort of speak to? Yeah, no contracts, man. Um, we uh, we take it month to month, and we want to prove it to you every single month. So you know, we we, we don't try to lock into contracts on, on that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, and we don't believe in in that kind of thing because we don't want you to feel like you're obligated to pay us. We want you to be happy about paying us because you're getting results, and that uh, month to month approach really forces us to to continue to deliver and. Um, yeah, that's that's how we've uh, structured it. So no contracts on that kind of thing. Nope. Okay. And then and then the other question: um, Do you guys have any kind of like do-it-yourself type of um, consulting? Maybe somebody comes to you, you spend an hour or two with them, you give them a, a roadmap, and they say, you know, I'm hands-on, I don't want to do it myself, but I need somebody to sort of give me the roadmap. Do you guys do anything like that, or is it more um, the whole overall strategic where you guys yeah. are actually, you know, pulling the levers? Yeah, so uh, you know, we're, we're a boutique-style agency, you know, so we kind of have the ability to make calls on things if we want to. And what it boils down to is, is if, you know, it sounds like a cool thing to talk about, then we're, then I'm happy to talk about it, both Aaron and I, my business partner and I. We do, you know, like we'll consult a little bit. I have a, I have a client that I'm working with now that sells a really neat accessory for, like, avid cyclers, and they're trying to get their e-commerce business up and going and navigating all of the widgets and things you have to do to make an e-commerce business work is, is challenging. So I meet with them, you know, once a week, we chat for an hour and, and kind of go through what they need to do. And, and that's about it. And, and I'm fine with that because it's fun for me, you know, and 
uh, that's the way we approach it. If it's something cool, you know, you're a cool person, we have a good vibe, then I'm happy to to chat with you and help you navigate some of these things as well. Got it, got it, got it. Now, now, um, I want to talk about sort of wh- where we're going from here in terms of the marketing. We talked about the old school stuff, what works, what doesn't work. Um, I, the way I sort of see it, and please help me understand it, the way I see it, there's the, uh, the, there's almost three doors to look at. One of the doors I would say would be like email blasts and websites. Another door would be like an app. And then the third door, let's say, would be social media with, you know, whether it's um, uh, Facebook or Instagram or wh- wh- whatever the case may be. That, that's the way it kind of breaks down in my mind. Am I reading it right, or do you want to sort of give an overview about how people, when they think about marketing, digital marketing, how they ought to keep it straight in their mind? Because in my mind, email, I don't know, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I got an email list of 30,000 people. I get a good response to it. Um, I built it up over the course of years, but I find myself personally, I don't even want to read email. There's so much bullshit out there. There's so much spam, so much of this, so much of that, that I, I put less value into it. Same thing goes with a website. Um, you know, what am I really getting out of the website? Is, is it really worth uh, having out there versus an app where everything can basically be self-contained? And then finally, there's a social media aspect, which is completely different. So can you sort of talk about what I'm doing and what I'm talking about, about where I'm right and, and more importantly, where I'm wrong? Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's a couple things. Um, email is one that is not dead, but it's very different than it was five years ago. Um, it's an opt-in type of marketing. So somebody has to actually give you their email address. And it's very important that that happens. If you just buy an email list and start emailing it to it, you're, you're bound to fail because it, one, people have never heard from you before. So your message isn't going to resonate very well. But two, like you're going to get your, your URL blacklisted so fast. Like these email servers are so good at this stuff now that they will block you and perma block you for forever. So just don't go that way. What that means though with email is that if you have a really good list and these are people that are, you know, uh, avid, they want to receive your information, they open your emails, you got good open rates, the email can absolutely work and can prove to be a very valuable channel for you. Again, think tracking with this is that if you're sending emails, and you're pushing people somewhere to take action on something, you want to track that so you know that it came from the email and that you can make a decision on if that channel was good for you or not. Um, now this brings me to websites. I actually, I'm not a huge fan of, of apps, um, and, and you know I, I think they're fine from a from a user experience perspective, and there's something to be said about that. But from a tracking perspective, I, I don't think they're as good. You really want to have a website because you want to have Google Analytics behind it. You want to have your Facebook ad pixel behind it. You want to have your LinkedIn pixel. You want to have all these different little tracking things behind your website that can help you make wise marketing decisions. And, and the website does that. What a website also does is it's SEO. This is like free traffic for you. So if you build your website to be search engine friendly, you know, you're going to get traffic organically that is going to make business for you organic uh, uh, traffic is, is by far the best converting and highest quality traffic you will get across the web. Um, so you right. definitely want to set yourself up for success with that with, with the website. The other categories that I would think about are like paid, you know, advertising. And really you can break that one into two kind of, well, three categories. So you have category one is paid search. And that's anything you're doing to run ads on a search engine. So think if you type keywords into Google, and the stuff that comes up there, that's paid search. So that's a big category of advertising online. The other category, second category, is display advertising. 
And that's like banner ads, uh, stuff you see on like a, you know, Forbes or Wall Street Journal, you have exciting ads. Those ads also show up in your applications. So if you're on, you know, an app and you see a pop-up ad or something like that, that happens there. These ads also are on like uh, CTV. So like, uh, I think it's, uh, what is it, connected TV. So think like Sling and Roku and the NHL has like a, a CTV system. Display also means video too. So these CTV systems use display ad networks to run ads on them. So if you want to show up in those places, display and that category is important to you. The third category is uh, social. So if you, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, all those ones are social ads, which that's a combination of, of video and imagery. But that's how I would kind of group those things, uh, you know, in my mind. And um, as far as like where the future is going with things, there's a few things to really pay attention to. Well, well one well, Chris, is that there are some there. data price. Oh, Chris, sure. Chris, I'll be right there. I, I want to get in the future, but if we can just hammer down a little bit more about these categories. Okay, so so interesting. You, you, you're saying the website yeah, is sure. actually much more much more valuable than I'm giving it um, uh, credit for. And you're saying emails can be valuable, but it's kind of a niche if you have a if you have a legitimate list and you didn't go out there and buy it. It can be effective. Huh, interesting. And, and apps, you don't think an app really, if somebody's thinking about going ahead and, um, you know, they got a title company or they got a real estate company, you, you would have them uh, maybe rethink or, or seriously consider whether or not they want to set up an app where they could basically market their product. Because the way I sort of saw it was an app is basically a modern version of a website. But you're saying that's not necessarily the case, and I'm reading it wrong, and some of those listeners are probably reading it wrong as well. I would be very curious as to why you want to do an app versus a website. And there may be good reasons for it. Maybe there's some kind of customer service component, some kind of like data component where you want to have membership and this type of thing, perhaps. Right. Um, but I well, well, I'm just thinking, that. For instance, I think you could accomplish much of that with, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. Okay. For instance, you, you're talking about multifamily. So you, you work with multifamily clients. Um, so, so if it's a company that owns a bunch of rental buildings, wouldn't it make sense for them to have an app where somebody basically can go on the app and they can track everything in terms of what's available within the portfolio as well as if they want to pay their rent, they need to call the maintenance guy or woman to come fix the AC, something like that. Um, or, or is that maybe a little bit of a, a, a different circumstance? Good point. So in that circumstance, an app may make sense. And if you have the, the funds to be able to develop this app and you can get it done well and it performs really well, great. Um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a replacement to the website because the website is also going to be a way that people do things because people might not want to download an app and put it on their phone. You might have bugs in your app that cause issues that now you've got a whole maintenance deal to deal with. You know, I would I would build website and then move to app. I wouldn't I wouldn't like replace it directly. Um, you know, and then there's really fancy websites like builds that function like an app. And you can go across the back way too. You can have an app that functions like a website, and you can have a URL and these type of things. And and Google Analytics is getting better at app tracking. Like their new GA4 uh, uh, system does allow for better like in-app tracking so you can track marketing effectiveness and these type of things. So like the technology is getting there. Um, you know, I would, again, it kind of comes back to like, what's your real, what, what kind of functionality and service hurdle are you trying to jump over that you yep. want to use an app for? And if that's a very valid reason to do it, then, then go for it. 
But, uh, you know, I, I, I would be cautious of saying website or app. I would be more in the bucket of both if you're going down that direction. Makes all the sense in the world. I mean, man, you are laying it out in such a way that even I can understand it. Now, I want to ask you social media. Um, uh, certain businesses sure. are targeted towards certain people, primarily if they have money. Generally speaking, the older you are, the more cash you have. And, you know, I'm stereotyping. The younger you are, the less cash you have, just because you haven't had enough time to sort of build. Um, how does it break down for social media? There's some people say Facebook is for the, the older ones and Snapchat is, is if you're younger and then TikTok is here. Um, can you give us a lay of the land if somebody's trying to hit a certain demographic, uh, an age, or more importantly, um, you know, a, a bankroll? How do, you, how do you sort of read um, where do you dedicate your time and resources? I mean, do you want to be on Twitter? Do you want to be on Instagram? Do you want to be on TikTok? Do you want to be here? Or do you really want to sort of be much more selective? In, and I'm putting all of these under the social media category. Really, really great question. And step number one is kind of what you just said. You have to figure out who you're going after first. And, and you have to go through that strategy process of figuring out who that target persona is. Once you know that, then you can look to these platforms to, to make a decision on that front. Um, I still think that if you have Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn in your arsenal, that that's going to cover most everyone you could possibly want to hit with social media and almost all of your budget. You know, I don't do a whole lot in, in Twitter and, and uh, some of the other ones like Snapchat and TikTok, although those platforms, people are making them work, uh, you know, out there, especially in real estate, the TikTok thing, you know, some real estate agents are making that work. And uh, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I, I, I personally haven't dabbled in it a whole lot, so I don't want to speak too much in that direction. But as far as Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram go, um, typically, like, your Facebook folks, are a little, they skew a little bit on the older demographics. You're looking at, like, a 30-plus, you know, being really effective there. There's still some young audience there. Um, so, like, that's kind of the thinking. Instagram is more in the middle, so you're looking at, like, you know, 18 plus, maybe more like 22, 23 plus is really effective on Instagram. And, and Instagram skews all the way up. You know, there's grandmas on there with, with Instagram accounts. Uh, you know, <laughs> I want to really? go younger than that. Then you, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Instagram. I both I have, I have two living grandmas. You know, I'm blessed that way. And uh, uh, they're both on Instagram. And I, I debated blocking them because I was like, I don't know if I want to see my my gram, but. Um, so I had to keep it chill. But anyways, like they're, they're there. And, uh, you know, LinkedIn is all over the map because of, of the nature of LinkedIn. But, uh, you know, if you want to go younger than that, which not many businesses do, like you have to be in a very special category to really be going for that, you know, 16 to 18 grouping. So that's why I say Instagram, Facebook are, are, are really great. By the way, in order to run Instagram ads, you're running it through the Facebook ads platform. So like, you might as well have a strategy for both of those platforms uh, while you're doing it because you're just going to run ads on, on both of them. So um, it's kind of my thought on, on age demographic there. As far as income goes, that one's trickier because there aren't very good like mechanisms out there for measuring income. And although you can find them on Facebook, I would not believe them. There is a category on Facebook for like top 10% income earners, and it's total bullshit. That's, that's our opinion, is that there's no effing way that they can nice. figure this out because anybody who's reporting that data is probably lying, and we've tested it, and it just doesn't work. So instead, what you have to do is kind of think like, okay, what is somebody who is 
has 10, is the top 10% of income earners in the United States, what do they find? Where are they going? What stores are they shopping at? Are they stop shopping at Walmart or Trader Joe's or, or Sprouts or a different store? Like what clothes are they buying? And if you build your affinity categories around that stuff, then I think you're going to be way more accurate than if you try to just say, hey, Facebook, tell me who makes the most money in the country because they don't, they don't fucking know at all. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, that's, yeah. you have to kind of think about the, the system like that. LinkedIn, different story. You could target income on LinkedIn a little bit differently because that's reported differently. And I guess that's the theme of this is you kind of have to like put your Zuckerberg hat on and think like a machine and think like how these systems are in, in taking information. And then you can, can uh, make decisions like that. Or you hire someone who thinks like that and uh, does it for you. So that's the, that's the other option. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, a, lot, a lot of real estate in South Florida, and I don't know if it's what it's like in Texas. I don't know what it's like in Las Vegas, Nevada. I don't know what it's like in California. A lot of real estate uh, people, whether they are in title, they're in lending, they are in, um, hell, who knows, even pharmaceuticals, has to do with the pretty people effect. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, pretty people take pictures of themselves. They put up their pictures on Instagram or they put it up on Facebook or anything like that. Does that actually translate into business by taking a photograph of um, how pretty you look uh, one particular day? Are you actually going to get uh, real estate leads or, or, or lending leads out of that? Or are people just, um, you know, a little bit too vain? Yeah, so um, growing up in Las Vegas, um, I'm very uh, desensitized <laughs> to pretty people yeah. on billboards. It's, it's a yeah. thing, right? Um, so uh, my opinion on it is that um, – so there is a psychological like reason why, you know, pretty people work with advertising. It's, it's undeniable. The data is there. However, I think that there is a lot of data that also suggests that authenticity and consistency win, you know, just like defenses win ball games in the NFL, consistency and authenticity win long-term with social media and really any ad platform. So, I would say don't feel like, you know, if, if you're not, you know, the prettiest real estate agent or, or you don't have like models working for you, don't think like that. Like, screw that. Instead, think like, okay, how can I have an authentic message that's valuable to the people I want to have that message to? And then how can I consistently say that across these platforms? And it doesn't matter if you have like crap video quality, if you have, you know, uh, you know, you know, a job of the hut, you know, per looking person working for you, it doesn't matter, right? Like if your message is good and you consistently say it, you'll win in, in the long term. And uh, that pays, in my opinion, that pays way more dividends than uh, than just putting a pretty picture up online. The message wins. It's, it's yep. a story, just like we were talking about the beginning. It's a story in the message. Interesting, interesting. Um, uh, Chris, Chris, I got two more, two more questions for you, and and I want to thank you for your time. Sure. And again, everybody, uh, Chris Overlay, he's with Genius Digital Marketing, and you can see he knows his shit. That's why we got him on this podcast. Um, uh, my first and my last two questions uh, is um, talking about this possibility of this concept. Hey, maybe I should take the five grand I'm going to spend on redoing my website. Maybe I should earmark it towards social media, figuring out whether I want Instagram, Facebook, whatever, 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 and just give up the website altogether and have everybody driven to my social media accounts. Let's call it LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. 
is that a strategy that makes sense for somebody who maybe doesn't really have deep pockets? Uh, maybe they got, you know, uh, $10,000 or whatever to kind of burn on marketing. Is that a strategy they should consider, or is a website a cornerstone of what they ought to be doing if they want to be successful going forward in marketing themselves and as well as their business? Yeah, you know, I, I would fall into the category of, of going with the website and having something of a website. And the reason is, is that your website allows you to gather first party. You can track how much data is coming there, where they come from. You know, you can retarget to people that have come to your website and you can use that data uh, across multiple platforms. So if they come from Facebook, you can retarget on them with the Google Display Network. If they find you on Google, you can retarget them on Facebook. You can't do that without a website and something tracking your, your marketing data. And it's, it's about more than just tracking people coming to your website. It's about like understanding how your digital marketing is working. And you can't do that without a collective uh, data uh, tracking system. And the website allows you to, to be, allows uh, for that to be the hub of where that information is going. So I would say, hey, if you got 5,000 bucks and you're trying to weigh this decision, I would instead say, why not both? Let's find a way to get you a website that's that's good looking, but not super complicated. That doesn't break the bank. Maybe you can get it for one k. Um, you can make that work. Maybe you can do some of it yourself. Uh, and then let's spend the rest on your marketing budget now that you have data and tracking in place. Uh, and you'll be you'll be more effective that way. If you just put it in the counter, if you just put it all on social media, like you don't own any of that information like Facebook could just decide to shut you down for no reason because they thought you violated housing policies that week and maybe you did maybe you didn't and if you lose that following and that data from like that third party it's gone so like you know you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket um, so to speak so uh, and it's the same with any of these platforms so I would say why not both let's find a way to to make it work um, for you and your budget and uh, be effective. I would rather you, you know, go forward and go a little ways, but do it effectively than, you know, you know, run a million different directions and do it, you know, uh, not effectively. Right. Wow. That's a great point about actually owning your content and Facebook. If they shut you down, you're basically shit out of luck. Very interesting. Okay. Final question, Chris, um, future. Give us a lay of the land uh, as we go into this post-pandemic world. Everybody's been sitting at home. They're watching Netflix. They're Googling this. They're using Amazon. The way we live has changed dramatically in the last year because of this godforsaken um, pandemic that we've all gone through. Yeah. What, do you, what do you sort of anticipate coming down the pike? And where should people sort of be thinking in terms of how they want to market as we go forward so that the market comes to them and they're not chasing the market? What, what, what words of advice or wisdom would you offer to the listener? Yeah, so um, I think that, uh, you know, what we said in the very beginning of the call really matters. Um, you don't want to get caught up too much in the little hacks and short-term, you know, tactics that, that, you know, people that are buzzworthy and get thrown out there. Instead, try to focus on the stuff that, that always wins. And like we said in the beginning, storytelling always wins. The mechanisms you use to tell that story are, are – uh, or what, you know, you can figure out and play with. Um, so there, there's that to keep in mind. Now, as far as like, you know, trends and things, there's some stuff I think of on a regular basis. And uh, it's like data privacy things. Um, you know, Facebook just rolled out an update that 
uh, not Facebook, excuse me, iPhone just rolled out an update where you can uh, block uh, like third-party applications from looking at your data on your device. And that's things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all these different uh, systems now don't have as much visibility. And that really impacts how you do digital marketing. It doesn't turn it off. It just means you have to do it in a much more intelligent way and think about things in, in terms of three steps ahead instead of two steps. So data privacy and data tracking things are, are, are good to keep in mind. Um, also, uh, you know, there are trends in the SEO world that are kind of shifting a little bit. And people used to say that you'd want to like, like own a keyword for SEO and be number one in the search engines. And for a long time, that was, that was real, but there is no such thing as number one in the search engines anymore. And the reason being is that things like this AI, this big brain Google AI thing is better at understanding context and context means like location, search history, what kind of data it is, who you are, what, what all these different factors to serve you information on these search engines. And it's always going to be different every single time. You could have two people sitting in the same room searching the same thing and they'll get two different results on Google. And it's better to kind of think about what you're doing as a category as opposed to like one individual keyword. And, uh, you know, I think understanding these trends moving forward, like thinking about them will set you up for long-term success. And if we think about COVID, like COVID went away eventually, like it is going away now. And like, we're kind of coming back to this, this world and the people that did focus on long-term strategies kept, you know, you know, disciplined, they're going to be the ones that, that pull ahead now that everyone is able to, to step back and play again. There's going to be more money in the system. You know, businesses are going to be generating revenue again. And, uh, you know, the ones that the, the companies that are going to li- literally pull ahead of everyone is, is going to be the ones that remain disciplined during, during that time. I think it's like a, a Warren Buffett quote. I might not be right about that, but like, I, I think that the quote is that, uh, you find out who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out to sea. And uh, yeah, it's very true in this scenario. So um, we'll find out who's naked and, and, uh, and, and they won't last, but um, I'm excited though. I'm excited that, uh, that uh, things are reopening and, and uh, it's going to be good for everyone, hopefully. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're motivated and, and positive about the future and um, pumped to help businesses, you know, and do good work and, and grow good companies. So it's a lot of positivity as well. I think that's another vibe as well. Keep in mind that, People are pumped again. You know, we're going to have the biggest events. We're going to have, you know, the, the biggest parties, the, the best, best happy hours, the most full of restaurants we've ever had in a long time. Because people are pumped and just be ready to capitalize on that. Yeah, let's just hope, uh, going back to my book, Bubble in the Sun, which came out in 2020 about the Florida land boom. Um, let's hope it doesn't lead to another <laughs> Great Depression, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, Chris, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, if they want to reach out, uh, maybe they want to discuss possibly, um, you know, bringing you on, hiring you, doing some consulting, uh, so on and so forth, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, so, um, you know, you can you can go to our company website. It's geniusdm.com. You can also find me on uh, LinkedIn or any of the socials. I'm Chris Overlay. And uh, there's not many people named that, so you should be able to find me. <laughs> just just looking that up. And, uh, yeah, that would be the best way. Just reach out to us, and, and we're happy to talk to you. I'll talk to anybody, anytime, and, and at least chat you through uh, what you're looking at and, and be fair with you. So no problem. 
Fantastic. That's Chris Overlay, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Marketing Officer, and a partner in Genius Digital Marketing based out in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area. As you can see, the guy knows his shit. Uh, if you are looking for someone to do some marketing, uh, and, you know, and you're shopping around, give Chris a call. You can see, um, you know, he'll, he'll give you some straight talk, which is what our podcast is all about. Um, so I want to thank Chris. I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Um, just a reminder, if you're not yet a subscriber to the podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you're listening to the podcast. If you like what we're doing, give us a rating and leave a comment. The more ratings and comments we get, the more likely we are to spread our message and work towards accomplishing our mission, which is bringing straight talk to an overhyped software to real estate market. And then finally, if you have a comment uh, about anything we're doing, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Every Wednesday when we do our reporters' roundtable, we're going to bring together current and former journalists, talk about the biggest stories that occurred within the last week. We read all the comments we've uh, received. We read them on the air, and we kick them around. So until next time, I hope everybody stays safe, you stay strong, you get inoculated so we can go back to some sort of normalcy. And until next time, ciao, ciao. This is Peter Zaliski of the Condo Vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the Tri-County South Florida area, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Hortus, a licensed real estate broker with CVRRealty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years. More importantly, she knows the market. She knows how to get a deal done. And she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved and ultimately languish on the market. So if you're looking to do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortis at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit her website, cvrrealty.com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else is. If you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders, why not advertise on the Common Vultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com.